Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Part of our vision here at Calvary is to be an intergenerational family church. Our heart is to cultivate a culture in which faith in God is nurtured and relationships are fostered as we worship, learn, grow, and serve together. And this was modeled in our live services today as we did child dedications. Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power, and everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness, and you rule through all generations. I always like to take this special day, which I'll talk about in a minute, just to express our gratitude here at Calvary, specifically for our children's director, Tessa, and our student pastor, Brad, who are, just as the scripture said, sharing stories, past and present, teaching, training, and showing our youth that Christianity is a joy-filled life. Loving God, loving people, and loving life isn't just something we talk about here with the adults. It's being lived out every week in big-time kids and root youth. So if you see either one of those wonderful people today, maybe give them a little word of appreciation. And speaking of appreciation, it is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all of you watching online. If you're with your mom, reach over, give her a hug. If you're not, give her a call. If your mom is no longer with us or there's different situations, we pray for you and pray that you would uh, take a moment to maybe remember them today. As a church family, we also want to honor all the mothers uh, in the house, but also the aunts, the grandmothers, the sisters, and all the friends, the women among us who are influencing our younger generation. And just as I said, we know that this task and calling is not just for parents, but it is assigned to all of the church community. After all, the highest goal in life for a woman is not the mother-child relationship, as wonderful as that is. The most important goal in life is a relationship with Jesus and to know and to serve Christ. Now, back in November, I decided that I needed to get myself a little hobby. And uh, I didn't want something that was expensive or something I'd have to go out of the house to do. So I went to the dollar store and I just kind of walked around and ended up coming home with watercolor paints, a pad, and a puzzle, two very different things. So I thought I would give the painting a try first. Well, I am creative, but apparently I'm not artistic. All that talent in my family went to my sister. So that was kind of a bust. So then I tried the puzzle. I didn't know if I would like doing a puzzle because I thought maybe it's not creative enough. But sure enough, I did. I really enjoyed it. And so the first one I did was 500 pieces. And it takes quite a while, especially when you haven't done one before. And I was getting close to the end in the anticipation of having the picture finally finished and that thrill of victory. And guess what? There was a piece missing. I got to the very end and there was one piece missing. I looked all over the place, I couldn't find it, and so my contentment in my finished work was completely dashed. Now life can be a lot like that. We are often disappointed and discontented by our lack in life when things don't go our way. And actually, even sometimes we're surprised when we still feel unfulfilled even when we achieve a goal. 
Now, there's plenty of advice out there on achieving contentment in life, so we're going to have a look at a couple of definitions. So I just Googled it really quick, and I didn't throw, like, Bible or Jesus or Christian at the end. I just wanted to see the very first thing that I would get. And so up came a definition from the Encyclopedia of Quality of Life, of life and Well-Being. I didn't even know that was a thing. And it says, contentment is the degree to which one perceives one's wants are being met. It involves cognitive judgment in which perceptions of life as it is are compared to the notions of how we think it should be. It is how satisfied we are with our life as a whole. Yeah, I would say that that's true. Uh, and then I googled the secrets of happiness, okay? And again, I was like, I'm just gonna grab the first one that comes up. And it said, a secret to a happy life is contentedness. And I was like, whoa, perfect, that's what I'm talking about today. So it gave us uh, four things to do, all right? So are you ready? First one is live in the present. Second one, cherish our memories. Third, appreciate ourselves for every little thing. And four, be grateful for what we have. And you will live a happy and satisfying life. So those are all good things. It seems kind of simple, but at the very end it said, all we need to do. Now, if someone says to me about a subject, like a how-to, and they say, all you need to do, I'm grabbing a pen because I'm like, I got to hear this. So it says, all we need to do is change our perspective of life. But then that's it. There's no, uh, how do we change? Change our perspective to what? There's no details provided at all. Seems like there's a missing piece in this uh, definition of happiness. John Stott, an Anglican minister, wrote, Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Now, Pastor Steve and I recently had to go on a trip. Uh, we were just going to Toronto for a conference, and so, of course, we had to pack. Now, Stephen is a master packer. We both have carry-ons. Mine's a little bit bigger than his, but still legal carry-on size. And he only takes exactly what he needs. He doesn't give himself options. He doesn't take extra. He knows how to fold and roll everything perfectly, and he fits it all in. And I, of course, was a girl guide, so I have to be prepared. I have to have everything for any situation that can come up. So, again, I overpack. I always do. I just I hate packing. So I overpack, and Stephen's kind of like looking at my suitcase, and he's like, you know, yeah, I think you could take a few things out. You can do it. I'm like, mm, okay. So I kind of look, and I pull three things out. Take them out, close the suitcase. I'm feeling good. In the middle of the night, I wake up, going through my head, what's in the suitcase. I kind of realize it's not that I don't have enough, but I have all the wrong things. I've packed wrong, have all the wrong stuff. So I decide, set my alarm, I'm gonna get up a little bit earlier, I'm gonna fix this situation. So I get up in the morning, I go downstairs. Do you think that I take out some things and add in new things? No, no, no. I just leave everything that's still there and I actually added five more things in an already jammed suitcase to the point where I had to, you know those, that little extra zipper that you have in a suitcase sometimes, and it will expand your suitcase just a little bit. So I even had to do that. So for a second, I'm feeling good, because I'm thinking, you know what? It's fine. 
I'm prepared for every situation, I'm feeling good. Of course, what really happens is that my excess just leads to other issues. So first of all, I've got this really heavy suitcase. I've been having a little problem with my hips, and my legs been bugging me. So now I gotta lug this really heavy suitcase everywhere I go. Then I gotta worry, because they're saying, if your suitcase is too big, we will make you check it. You can pick it up on the other side. And I was like, no, they're gonna make me check my suitcase. They're gonna lose it, or I'm gonna have to wait two hours on the other side. Well, that all works out fine, but then you get somewhere and you realize, gee, even if I wanted to buy something or bring something home, I actually couldn't because my suitcase is too full. So the excess that I thought would cause me less stress is actually causing me more. We all sort of know that the more is better mentality isn't really true, but we, we all kind of just want to give it a shot anyway, right? We hope the next superficial satisfaction will last. But external happiness is kind of like cotton candy, right? It's sweet for a moment. It's good. It's great for a moment. It dissolves really quick in an instant and just kind of leaves you thirsty and with really sticky fingers. There's also the simple living mentality that says satisfaction comes by getting rid of stuff and living with less. And while there is some truth to this kind of thinking, for sure, that we should not pursue earthly goods continually, a simple lifestyle alone does not guarantee a contented heart. So the secular advice, all this secular advice that we've been reading uh, on contentment is definitely missing a very important puzzle piece here, just like my puzzle at the beginning. Now, as Christians, we know to go to the Bible for God's wisdom and truth on any subject. One of the most important Bible verses on this subject was written by the Apostle Paul, who knew what it was to live in prosperity and with lack. He actually wrote this verse while he was on house arrest under the Roman government. So Philippians 4, 11 to 12 says, I'm not saying this because I need anything. I have learned to be content no matter what happens to me. I know what it's like not to have what I need, and I know what it's like to have more than I need. I have learned the secret of being content no matter what happens. I am content whether I am well-fed or hungry. I am content whether I have more than enough or not enough. And here, he doesn't leave us like the other definitions do. He fills in that missing piece for us. And it says, Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Now that is actual hope. This is how Paul could make such bold statements. When we come into our relationship with God through his son Jesus, we understand who we are and what we have. Now the term content suggests self-sufficiency, but in the context of this verse, it means being at peace with Christ's sufficiency. When his powerful presence is consuming us, we can do all things. Christ has not given us unlimited strength, but... We can experience contentment because we have a continual recipient of supernatural strength. Our human determination and our emotional toughness will not always get us through hardships as much as we try. Only Christ can generate a contented spirit within us no matter what is happening around us. Contentment does not come from the outward it's achieved or achieved by anything external. It is of the heart. So now let's look at what the Bible says are the secrets of contentment. So the first one is, contentment is found in resting upon the person and the work of Jesus. 
The cornerstone of contentment is the cross. Contentment is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, who saves his people from sin and death. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Because of the cross, our salvation is secure. And again, in Philippians, Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The second one is contentment comes with a rightly ordered life. Now Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to us as well. Pursuing Christ and serving him are always to come first for the Christian. We need to live one day at a time. Philippians 4:19 says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here we wait on God. We need to surrender our timetable and our future to him. Discontentment is due to a wrong focus. So if we focus horizontally on things and other people, we'll be discontented because, you know, someone's life always looks better than ours. But if we focus vertically on God, living each day in the light of his love and glory, the things of this earth will pale in comparison. So I'm a big events person. I always like to have something to look forward to. But, you know, that's not how life is. Sometimes you go a few months and there's not really anything that exciting that's coming up. So a few, a few years back, uh, this was kind of the case. We had a few months where nothing really overly exciting was happening. And then one of the leaders from the Mandarin campus um, called up Pastor Steve and said, I would love to take you and Susan to Taiwan. Um, she lives here half the year in Taiwan half the year, and I think it would be wonderful if you came experience the culture. It would really connect you to the Mandarin campus. You can speak at the church that I attend there. You can go to some of the small groups, and I'll take care of the whole thing. And we were like, oh my goodness, that's what a blessing. That's so wonderful. So off we went. Uh, had a great week. Beautiful church over there. Lots of wonderful small groups. Met amazing people. Um, and towards the end of the week, one of the touristy things that we did was we went on a gondola. Um, so kind of like if you imagine like the Grouse Mountain gondola. And so you go up to the top. When you get there, you realize that that is not the end. There's this like sea of mountains that just goes and goes ahead of you. And so this gondola literally goes on for about half an hour. But when you get to the end, you are at the top of the Mekong Mountain. I hope I'm saying that correctly. So there we were at the top of the Mekong Mountain, beautiful. We went to a traditional tea house and had a traditional tea ceremony with our host and her brother. Really, really beautiful. And then towards sunset, we're, you know, we're hiking. Okay, that's an exaggeration. We're not really hiking, okay? We're strolling. We're strolling along. And our host and her brother are kind of ahead of us a little bit, so they can't really hear us. And I turn to Stephen and I say, look at us, living our big life. And he says, that's right. Now, you remember in a few months when you're complaining that we're just home sitting on the couch, that right now we are hiking the Mekong Mountain. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I, I do have to remember that. Sometimes in life, you're hiking the Mekong Mountain, and sometimes you're just sitting on the couch watching the pioneer woman make easy sheet pan suppers. And you have to learn to be content in both situations. So we don't want to miss the essence of this life. Instead of constantly running from achievement to achievement, not that there's anything wrong with goals, but 
or chasing the next short-lived high, let's enjoy our relationship with God and family and friends. So the third one is contentment is learned and comes with experience and practice. Contentment, unfortunately, is not a gift. Be so great if it was. It is a virtue and a skill one learns by consciously looking for and appreciating what God is doing in our lives in every circumstance. This means that contentment does not magically happen just because we get a raise or we get married or we tour the world or any other, reach any other goal that we have. Paul says he has learned in whatever situation to be content. Contentment does not come naturally to a sinful human heart, and that includes all of us. Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So contentment is kind of like a muscle that needs regular exercise to stay fit and strong. Practically, this means living with an attitude of gratefulness for the things God has given to us and trusting in the fact that God is present and working despite hardships or difficulties. The more we practice living in gratitude for Christ and his work and seek to serve him in a variety of situations, the more we will be able to say, along with Paul, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the last one, contentment comes when we look forward to eternity. Because of the cross, our friendship with God is possible. Because of the cross, our future in heaven is guaranteed. Isn't that enough? What else really matters? The big things are taken care of. Contentment comes from knowing that the future is secure. Jesus commands us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, and that's in Matthew 6.20. When we look ahead to eternity, we recognize that the inheritance Christ purchased for us so greatly outweighs anything we could have in this life. One day heaven will be our home, and remembering this hope puts our lives on earth in perspective. Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's Philippians 3.20. Jesus gives his people the strength to endure and rejoice in all circumstances, because he is their Savior who will faithfully bring them through this life into heaven and their true home. So, um... Most of you know, but in case you didn't, I used to be a preschool teacher, did that for about 25 years of my life. And uh, one time, I guess we probably were talking about heaven in circle time, but I was just sitting with this little girl at the art table. We were working on an art project, and she just kind of out of nowhere said, "Um, Mrs. McDonald, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. And I said, oh, well, why not? And then she just started this whole list. She said, well... Will my toys be there? Will my dog be there? Will my favorite doll be there? Will my mom be there? And I was thinking, okay, Lord, like, she's young, but I still want to be, like, honest with things. So what is the best way for me to answer this? Because, like, are your toys going to be there? I don't, I don't know. Probably not, but what would be a really good answer here? And the Lord just gave it to me, and I said, you know what? Everything you need to be happy in heaven will be there, and which is the truth, right? Maybe we're going to walk into eternity and all we're going to need is God's love, but apparently there's meadows and mountains and streets of gold and all kinds of other wonderful things there. Um, I've said this before. I, 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 will, I often say this, is that nobody's going to walk into heaven and look around and go, 
well, this is nice, but I really wish I'd seen the Egyptian pyramids. No one in heaven is going to say, I wish, and nobody is going to say, I regret. Ultimately, no, we know that there is an eternity of contentment and fulfillment. Most Christians desire what the Apostle Paul had, enduring contentment, a deep-down, soul-satisfying contentment, the kind that can only come from within. It has everything to do with what's going on inside of you and not what's going on outside. It has only one source. That source is found in the soul-satisfying relationship with our Heavenly Father that cares for us and promises to meet us where we are. It comes from asking Jesus into your life and heart as your Savior and Lord. So we're going to conclude today um, by reading some of Paul's advice that he gives us, which actually uh, come before his comments on contentment, but I wanted to save them until the end. And we're going to turn them into a prayer. Now that we know that missing puzzle piece of contentment is the strength of Christ at the center of our lives, we have the power to follow Paul's advice on true contentedness. So I'm going to turn Matthew 4, 4 to 9 into a prayer. Um, I'm going to specifically be thinking for all, about all the wonderful moms here today, but really this prayer is for everyone. Lord, we know despite of circumstances, we can always be joyful because we belong to you. Help us to be unselfish and considerate in all that we do. We wait on you and remember that the Lord is coming soon. Help us not to worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. We tell you our needs and thank you for your answers. We know we will experience your peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Your peace will keep our thoughts and our hearts quiet and at rest as we trust in Christ Jesus. We endeavor with your strength to fix our thoughts on what is true and good and right, to think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the find good things in others. With gratitude and contentment, we think about all we can praise you for and be glad about. Help us to put into practice everything we have learned today, and we know your peace is with us. Amen.